You're now listening to the Tax Smart REI podcast, your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tax Smart Real Estate Investors Podcast. This is actually the first episode of 2023, so welcome back. Hope everybody had an excellent holiday break and coming back refreshed and recharged, ready to crush 2023. And in today's episode, what we're going to be covering is what you can still do for the 2020 tax year, 2022 tax year, excuse me, and what you can't do, as well as what you'll want to be looking at in 2023 as you look forward to strategy and planning for this year. All right. So first things first, 2022 is over. What can you still do for 2022? Yeah, well, the first thing that I would say that you can still do is a cost segregation study. A lot of people come to us at the end of the year and they're like, oh, my, I've gotten these marketing emails from these cost segregation firms that say time's running out. I have to do a cost segregation study. And that's simply not true. We've talked about this before, but you can do a cost segregation study at any point during ownership. You can actually, I think you can even do a cost segregation study after you sell your property. So you can go all the way back in time and do a cost segregation study. So the point is, is that there's no rush. You do not, if you bought a property in 2022, you did not have to complete a cost segregation study by the end of 2022 in order to use a cost segregation study and all the benefits that come with it. Instead, what we recommend is just getting that cost segregation study performed or, or completed before you file your tax returns. Ideally, you know, a couple weeks or months before you file your tax returns, just to give your accounting team time to get all that. Uh, the fixed assets that are broken out, get them all entered into the tax return. But that's it. So, so the nice thing about that is that you can extend your returns on April 15th. You can go all the way to 1015. In theory, you could get the cost segregation study performed or completed on 1014 and have your accounting team enter it on 1015. Now, I know that we have some CPAs and tax pros listening to this, so I will also throw you a bone. You should absolutely not do that to your accounting team. <laughs> if you do that to us, we will not be filing your returns on 1015. You know, we we have we have deadlines. I think our document deadlines always uh into June or into July. You got to upload all your documentation including cost segregation studies if you want us to file your return timely by 1015. So don't drop something on somebody at the last minute, but in theory, you could do it. You could complete a cost segregation study at the 11th hour on 1015 and still file, still have it all in your tax returns on 1015. So the point is, is you just need to complete the cost segregation study before you file your returns for the year in question. Right. And just to confirm, these, these properties have to be placed in service in 2022. So for example, if I bought a property- Good. Too, Thank you for pointing that out. I Yes, I did not clarify that. I appreciate that. Continue. Yeah. So if, if you bought the property in 2022, great, but it also has to be placed in service. And as we know, Place and service means it's typically rent ready and available for rent. So it's, in other words, listed for rent. Something else I want to qual- uh, clarify, because I actually just saw a question in our insiders community about this, actually. And that is, if you're using the short-term rental loophole or exception, whatever you want to call it, you have to actually have, and you want to you know, take the losses from your short-term rental, it's not enough just to place in service, right? Place in service, great, but you need to be able to substantiate that you had an average stay of seven days or less. So that means that you're having, you know, at the 
bare minimum if you want to try to get away with like murder <laughs> you need to have at least one stay but it's highly recommended you have at least two stays at your property in 2022 so now that we're in 2023 if you hadn't already done this on your short-term rental you might want to hold off on doing the cost segregation study at all for 2022 instead having it applied in 2023 just so you can capture those benefits now there's some more nuances that goes on with that you might need a 3115 to be filed all this other stuff but so speak for your tax pro if you're going to go that route but the point i just wanted to make was that placing your property in service is not enough if you're looking to use the short-term rental loophole or the exception you actually have to have someone stay at the property to substantiate the fact that the average stay was seven days or less or 30 days or less if you're going to be providing substantial services. It's just something to keep in mind. Right. So the point is, is that you can't take bonus depreciation from a cost segregation study on properties that you acquired but did not place into service. So you have to place the properties into service by uh, you know renting them out. There are tax court cases out there that suggest that you could just advertise it for rent, talk to your CPA about your particular situation, but to be safe, rent the properties out. Now they're in service and now you can take a cost segregation study or take the bonus depreciation from a cost segregation study. And then you have to apply the passive activity loss rules, which we've talked about extensively on this podcast before. We have a whole reps, real estate professional status series. I think it's five series. We have a short-term rental series. So what we were just kind of talking about or what Tom was just sort of talking about, we talked about in detail. So go back through our podcast and find those series if you're interested in learning more about that. But you did also mention our community, uh, our insiders group, because we do get a lot of questions in our insiders group. It's a pretty active community at this point. We have a free community on Facebook. That's got like 14,000 people in it, I think. Yeah. It's, like it's creeping up to 14,500. We'll be at 15,000 soon. It's growing. It's it's still growing, man, to 100 to 200 people per week. And What's the link for that? That's www.facebook.com slash group slash investors. Or you could just search for Tax Smart Investors on Facebook and you'll you'll see us. Our, our faces are on the banner. So Yeah. And then we have a couple hundred people in our insiders group. That is a paid community. Um, gets you a lot more access to Tom and I and our team. And we are actually revamping it. So we've got some big changes coming down the pipeline here in the next couple of weeks. Highly recommend if you're interested in wealth building and doing it in a tax smart way, highly recommend that you pay attention to emails that we send out here over the next couple of weeks because we're really excited about it. Yeah, we'll be dropping more details here also about that on the podcast. So stay tuned. Subscribe if you haven't already to the podcast and uh, make sure you're on our newsletter. You could you could find more details of that in the Facebook group as well. So anyway, anyway. So- you know more about the contributions to IRAs and HSAs, but this is something that you can do. Even though we're in 2023, this is something that you can do for your 2022 returns. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So you have to the file, the individual filing deadline, not the extension deadline, but the individual filing deadline, uh, which I believe is uh, April 18th, 2023, to make contributions to IRAs, whether they're Roth or traditional. As far as I'm aware, you could still open the accounts in 2023 and still contribute for the 2022 tax year as long as you contribute again by that deadline, which I believe is April 18th. 2023. HSAs, you could still make contributions to HSAs until uh, the filing deadline as well. However, uh, you do have to have the account open already from 2022. So just something to keep in mind, if you didn't already have that account open, you might not be able to make those contributions. However, uh, there's still time to open that account for 23, plenty of time. So if you have a high deductible healthcare plan and you are considering uh, an HSA, you have plenty of time for 2023. If you file an extension, does that extend the time to do all this? Nope. Nope, not for IRAs or HSAs. You have until April period, and that's it. Like there's no extension. If you extend your tax return, great. You extend your tax return, but you did not extend the deadline to make these contributions. Got it. So something else that you can't do, and this is a question we get every once in a while. If I had an expense pop up at the end of the year, 
So maybe it was like materials or something. You know, I, I ordered them. I got the invoice. They've been installed on my property. Can I write that off in 2022 if I don't pay for it until January 2023? No, no. So if it's an expense, a true expense and not going to be capitalized, because if, you, if you're a cash basis taxpayer, which almost all real estate investors are, from my, at least from my experience, then that's going to be an expense in 2023 because that's when you paid for it, right? You paid for it in 2023. And unfortunately, that's where the expense will be. The cutoff ended for you to pay for it on the 31st of 2022, of December 2022. Yep. Like now that we are in 2023, is there anything else that we could do retroactively for 2022? You could do a retroactive S corporation election if you really wanted. If you were an agent, developer, broker, flipper, and you've created a lot of self employment income, you could do a retroactive S corporation election. You would have to figure out how to run payroll retroactively, which is now going to be a pain because we are in 2023 and not in 2022, but you could do it. The purpose of doing that would be to reduce your exposure to self employment taxes. So if I net $100,000, uh, through a single member LLC or just on my Schedule C, I guess that would be the same thing. Then I'm going to pay a 15.3% self employment tax on the full 100K. So $15,300. Then I'm going to pay my marginal tax. Then I'm going to pay my state tax. And I think that's probably, probably about it. So I'm going to pay a lot of taxes on this $100,000. But if I run it through an S corporation, and let's say that your reasonable salary, just to make this example easy, your reasonable salary is $50,000. So you pay that via W-2, you run that through payroll. The remaining $50,000 of my 100K total profit comes out as a cash dividend, cash distribution, and it's not subject to the 15.3% tax. So now only my W-2 portion, when I run it through an S corporation, is subject to that 15.3% tax. And in this example, since I'm paying 50K W-2, 50K I'm just cashing out, I save myself $7,650, $7,650 in self-employment taxes. So a retroactive S corporation election could be very beneficial. You do have to consider section 199A, which is the QBI deduction, that 20% deduction for qualified business income. So make sure again, that you work with a CPA on this and get those numbers checked. Make sure that you're going to do this in a smart way. It used to be relatively easy. Just, you know, once you hit like 60, 70 K, you you switch over to an S corporation, but now we have to account for the impact on that qualified business income deduction. Absolutely. The other thing that I would say that you could also do is, and this is something that that I wish a lot of people did, get a tax projection done. Our firm charges for it. A lot of firms should charge for it. Uh, if, and if they're not charging for it, you should consider paying your CPA anyway. Get a tax projection done. A tax projection is going to take all of your 2022 income, and it's going to show you roughly what you're supposed to pay by April 15th, what you would owe by April 15th. There are two reasons, three reasons maybe, for doing this. The first is clarity. Like I personally do this for my own self, right? So I get the business income, I get all my real estate income, and I run it through my software, and I create a tax projection for myself in January of every year, and we go ahead and we just make those payments, right? The year's already lapsed, so so there's no use. There's no point in continuing to hold the money. Now interest is just accruing at this point. Potentially a small underpayment penalty is is accruing, but we go ahead and make those payments, right? So first is clarity. I know what I'm going to owe in January. I know what that April 15th bill is going to look like. That gives me multiple months to find liquidity if I need to, right? So that's really important for real estate investors, where a lot of our money is tied up in real estate. We need time to find liquidity sources when I've crushed it in the prior year 
especially when I've crushed it in the prior year. You don't want to find it out on April 14th or 15th that you owe $300,000 and have 24 hours to figure it out. Yeah. Unfortunately, we've done that with clients because that was just the way that it all, yeah. the, the cookie crumbled. Nobody felt good about it. The client didn't feel good about it. We didn't feel good about it. So we would prefer that people that had big years get a tax rejection, pay your CPA to get it done, get the clarity. But when you make the payments, you also stop the interest from accruing or you reduce that interest amount that's going to accrue. You reduce the underpayment penalty that's going to accrue. And if you if you make those payments now, then on April 15th, if you still owe anything, because sometimes typically these tax projections can get you within uh, one to five percent. Like I've had varying degrees of success over the years doing this for myself, even because things you just, you know, the, the the 1099 comes in that you forgot you, you earn 2K of dividends or something. And so that throws your projections off. But if I can get within 5% of my total bill, then yes, I'm going to receive a letter from the IRS. Yes, I'm going to have some penalties and interest, but it's going to be a couple hundred bucks. Not a big deal. I'm going to pay it and move on with my life. If I don't do this tax projection, that penalty and interest might be a couple thousand dollars. If I fail to pay my tax bill, my full tax bill on April 15th or by April 15th, then I have a failure to pay penalty. This is the third reason that you get these tax projections done to stop the failure to pay penalty. Because a lot of people get extensions. Extensions is an extended time to file your tax return, but you do not get to extend the time to pay your tax bill. Your tax bill is always due on April 15th. So if you had a lot of moving parts in 2022, if, if you crushed it in 2022, you want to get a tax projection done so that you understand what your April 15th tax bill is so that you can make that payment by April 15th. Because if you don't, then you will accrue a 0.5%, so half of 1%. You will accrue that penalty every single month on the amount that you owe. So if I owe $100,000, I'm going to accrue a $500 penalty every single month. And I'm probably not going to actually pay that. Like If I don't do the projection and I'm not on top of this, I'm probably not going to pay that until we file the tax return which might be on October 15th, by that point, $6,000 would have accrued in penalties. So I'm going to owe hundred k in taxes and another $6,000 in penalties. And I'm going to owe interest in underpayment penalties as well. So I'm going to end up owing a lot in penalties. And you can get this stuff waived. For, there's first-time abatement penalty. There's, other, there's reasonable cause. There's other things that you can do. But the point is, is that if you get a projection done at the beginning of the year, you will save yourself a lot of time, money, and headache Later on, time from dealing with the IRS, uh, money, obviously, because you're not going to pay as much in penalties, and headache because it's it's scary to get the IRS letters and to deal with it and to it's stressful and nobody wants that. So the goal is to do tax projection in January, get clear on what you owe in April. That way you can go ahead and make the payments. You can reduce the penalties that you're going to be exposed to, but then you're also not scrambling on, you know, at the eleventh hour trying to come up with a lot of money to pay your tax bill. If your tax situation hasn't changed much year to year, then maybe you don't need a tax projection. You know, if my income in 2022 was roughly the same as it was in 2021, then I can look at my 2021 tax bill and I can kind of just net out what I didn't pay this year. So like if I paid $100,000 in taxes in 2021, my income hasn't changed hardly at all in 2022. And maybe I've made estimated payments of 40k in 2022, then I, I'm probably pretty safe. Um, and when I say pretty safe, I mean again, you 
you'll probably have a wider margin of error than 5% here. It might be 10%. But again, I know that I'm probably going to owe another 60K. So I can just make that 60K payment in January and move on with my life. And and yes, I might still get the IRS letters with a few hundred dollars in penalties, but whatever, I'll live with it and just pay it and go and just move on with my life. So if, if your situation is the same, maybe you don't need a tax projection. You still need to pay that tax bill. But if your situation has changed either for the better or for the worse, like a lot more income or a lot less income, you might want to get that tax projection done in January so that you get that clarity. Uh, it'll really help you reduce and avoid penalties. Yeah, absolutely. Really important, especially if you're self-employed or like to Brandon's point, you had a big swing. I know I'll be doing mine before January 15th. Make sure I get that payment in there to try to reduce those penalties. And, you know, interestingly, though, one thing someone did mention recently was like, if everybody knew, right, if everybody if everybody was self-employed and everybody actually saw the amount of money they had to pay to the government, right? if you have a W-2 every week, every two weeks, whenever you get paid, the money gets automatically taken out of your account and taken out of your paycheck and remitted to the government by your employer on your behalf. And you really don't see it. No pain. Like no pain. You don't really see the pain because it, you never had the money to begin with. When you're self-employed, however, you do get the money and you have to then remit the, the money to the government. And when you see the amount of money you have to remit to the government, it makes me really angry. But uh, so I'm, <laughs> but so good thing everybody doesn't have to do that. Otherwise, we'd probably be living in a different world. <laughs> well, kind of on that point, though, and I know this is off topic, so I'll keep this very brief, is people with W-2, I, I find that oftentimes... They're just looking at their income tax withholdings at the federal and the state level as their total taxes paid. But you also have to look at your Social Security tax and Medicare tax because that 15.3% tax that I mentioned for self-employment people earlier, employees pay half of that. The reason that self-employed people pay 15.3% is because they are treated as employees and employers. So when you're a W-2 employee, you're still paying 7.65% on your earnings up until a certain threshold and then it drops down just to the Medicare proportion. So Social Security drops off. But I would really encourage you to uh, just you know keep a keep an eye on that as well because you'll you'll start to really feel a tax pain. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So putting twenty twenty two in the rearview now, let's shift to twenty twenty three. You know what what is available for investors in twenty twenty three? I think the biggest change in twenty twenty three that real estate investors need to be aware of, if you're not already aware of it, is that we're no longer at 100% bonus depreciation for property, place, and service within the 2023 tax year, which for most taxpayers will be the 1st of January 2023 through uh, the 31st of December 2023. We're now at 80% bonus depreciation. No, bonus depreciation is not going away entirely, nor is cost segregation. I hear people say that online. That's not true. It's simply dropping down from 100% to 80%, which is still quite powerful, but just, you know, unfortunately not as quite powerful as 100%. I don't know that people will really even feel the impact, honestly. When it really comes down to it, you're talking about if I've got a a million dollar property and the cost seg identified 250K in value that I can bonus depreciate, you're basically saying I can only take 200K this year and the remaining 50K I spread out over five, seven, 15 years versus just taking the full 250 this year. So when you really look at that spread, that 50K spread, then you apply your tax rate, you know, even at the highest tax rates, you're talking $17,000 or something. Yeah. I mean, it's um, powerful. Yeah. I don't think that you're going to really feel it. Now, you might feel it in 2025 when it drops to 60%. That's yeah. when you probably feel it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It also something else to mention, you know, our advisory team. Sorry. Tw- I said 2025, but 2024, it drops to 60. 25, it's... 40. 40. That, then you're definitely going to feel it. You know, and our team, I think we ran the numbers on it. I think it came out to like 82.5% really in the first year because the five and seven and 15 year properties still right. 
depreciated. So when you add that all up, it really comes out to around like 82.5. Don't quote me on that number, uh, but it did come in something. <laughs> but that is a good that point. Number. That's a good point. You're still, you're still going to be able to take that first year of the five year or the seven, 15 year schedule also on top of the bonus. So yeah, it is more powerful than people realize. So that's the biggest thing. So you want to make sure you take advantage of that. Another big thing that's changing for 2023 that you want to be aware of is that meals are from restaurants are no longer hundred percent tax deductible. So thanks to the cares act and the entire COVID thing, Basically, Congress gave restaurants a little boost by allowing businesses to deduct 100% of meals purchased from restaurants, you know, when they're for business purposes, of course. That ends last year in 2022, and it goes back to 50% tax deductible in 2023, as it historically has been for the last recent years. That's actually one I'm, I'm sad about. I really, I really appreciated that change to, to 100% meals uh, the last two years. I know it was a pandemic response, so the the whole purpose was to try to get people eating in restaurants and rejuvenating the restaurant industry. I don't know if it worked. How do you even get data on that? I don't know. I, how would you even tell? Uh, yeah, how would you even isolate in? Okay, well, businesses, you'd have to probably do a survey on businesses, right? How many businesses increased their meal allowances or meal um, expenses thanks to those tax savings they knew they were going to be able to get, right? Huh. Because I mean, could you really go to the restaurant and say, well, how much did your revenue increase and then tie it back right. to tax savings? I, I don't know. Okay. If somebody's listening to this, <laughs> you know how to get this data. I would be really interested to see if if moving meals from 50 to 100% deductibility positively impacted the restaurant industry. I mean, definitely felt better for us, <laughs> yeah. but I would love to see, I would love to see that data. So if you are listening to this and you know how to get that data, send me an email or, or send us an email contact at the real would be very interested to see that information. Yeah, that would be interesting. You know, some other things to note for 2023, there's a lot of talk about the Biden tax plan over the last year or two, and a lot of changes that may have been in that plan, but ultimately they never came to pass. So just kind of highlight those for everybody. 1031 exchanges are still very much alive. So if you are considering a 1031 exchange, uh, you don't have to worry that they're going away. Stepped up basis is still very much alive. So if you're planning <laughs> to die in the next few years, sorry to be so morbid, but if you are, you know, stepped up basis to assets to your heirs is still there for you. Cryptocurrency is still not subject to the watch sale rules. So you could sell cryptocurrency at a loss immediately and buy it right back and still recognize that loss as a capital loss. And those are just a few of the highlights that were discussed over the last year or two. Just want to remind everybody that they did not come to through fruition. So you could still use those strategies in 2023. And speaking of legislation, there is currently the omnibus bill going through Congress. I believe it's now gone through. Well, by the time the of this recording, it might actually be passed. Yeah. Yeah. I think the I think the I think just uh, President Biden just has to sign his sign the dotted line and it's law at this point. Okay. So by the time that this releases, the omnibus bill will probably have passed and we might put something out summarizing what tax changes are in it for uh, real estate investors. There are tax changes to IRAs and, and how you treat different retirement accounts. I believe you can roll over 529s into IRAs now and all of this other stuff. Uh, there's also changes to syndicated conservation or conservation easements just in general. They cap them at 2.5 times your investment amount prospectively, not retroactively, which I know is like a big deal for that industry. And I think there's a couple other things. So we'll we'll try to send out a little summary if you're on our newsletter, and that'll be coming. Maybe it'll already be released by the time this podcast drops. I don't know. It just kind of yeah. depends on when the bill's signed. Yeah, absolutely. Once it's officially law, um, we'll definitely be putting stuff out there. And if it's substantial enough, I'm sure we'll have an episode covering it as, in some way, shape, or form. 
Something else that's interesting, solar credits, they were extended by Congress at some point, and now you're able to do it through, you're able to still get solar tax credits through uh, 2033. I'm pretty sure it's just on residential properties. So in other words, you actually have to live in the property, but we'll be doing an entire episode on that in the coming weeks of breaking down solar tax credits and what you can and can't do with them. So uh, stay tuned for that. It's going to be exciting. Another thing you can still do is still invest in qualified opportunity funds. So if you did have a capital gain, you did want to roll it into a qualified opportunity fund, you could still roll it over into the fund. You could still defer your taxes until 2026. So in other words, you don't have to pay it right away. And you could still eliminate the gains if you on the actual sale or the liquidation eventually of that qualified opportunity fund, which you can no longer do is you can no longer invest in a qualified opportunity fund and get that step up in basis. That ended in 2021 was the last year you can do that to get that 5% step up in basis. But just no qualified opportunity funds, you could still invest in them. I think that period ends in 2027 and you could still get that 10% step up on the actual qualified opportunity fund itself. In other words, the gains on your actual qualified opportunity fund investment will still be exempt if you hold for greater than 10 years. But we're going to also be having a guest come on and speak about qualified opportunity funds in the coming weeks as well. So I'm sure we'll dive deeper into all that fun stuff in a few uh, weeks when we have the guest on. Very excited about that guest. Yep. Very excited about that guest. All right. Do we forget anything? Is there anything else we need to cover here for 2023? I don't think so. A lot of the stuff is still the same. I mean, the number one strategy for real estate investors is to understand the passive activity loss rules. I know that we've beat that to death, but it's for a good reason. You got to understand the passive activity loss rules. Of course, there's all these ancillary things, but, uh, I mean, I think that's pretty much it. You're going to be doing a whole entire masterclass on that too, on an insiders group in Q1, right? So, Uh, yeah, yeah. I I will be doing a masterclass on the passive activity loss rules if you are in our paid insider group, which we will be putting out a lot of information about coming in in the upcoming weeks. Really excited about that. The only other thing that I'm going to say is for 2023, don't get caught up in all of the, uh, should I dare I say, uh, TikTok tax strategies yes. that you see out there. There there are, Tom's on TikTok. He's posting legit strategies, all right? So you can go follow Tom on TikTok if you want to see legit strategies. But there are a lot of people, I've just noticed, especially over the past probably 12 months, there's a lot to do with trusts, like the Spinthrift Trust, the a lot of these weird trust structures that people are coming to you and saying, hey, if you use all these trusts, you can eliminate your income. And I just want you to be aware that the IRS is aware and that the IRS disagrees with the approaches. Typically, though, these people that have these trust conversations, you have to, you have to sign a non-disclosure, I think, uh, in order to even get access to the strategy. If you have to do that, then that's typically a reason to stay away because you know you can't go and talk about it after after you get locked in putting things into a trust putting things into an llc the activities into an llc activities into a trust is not a tax strategy it might be an asset protection strategy but it's not a tax strategy so don't get suckered into it so make 2023 the year that you learn about the passive activity loss rules you learn about how to sustainably create tax deductions for yourself don't get suckered into these weird one-off things. I know it, especially at the end of the year, it stinks to, you know, if you are doing a kind of running tax projection in your head, it stinks to realize I'm going to owe a ton of money to the government. I'd rather see you pay the ton of money to the government than get involved in one of these weird schemes that gets you caught later. You have to pay penalties on top of the back taxes and you potentially face a lot of civil penalties, potentially even criminal penalties. So just be really careful. Be very smart. Don't get suckered into things. If it 
smells bad. I don't know what the saying is. Smells and walks like a duck, then it's a duck. If it smells bad, stay away. Exactly. And and the last thing I'll say on that before closing out is whenever you're listening to, whenever you're finding out about tax strategies or investment strategies or whatever on social media, always take with a grain of salt and go have conversations with your own tax or, you know, financial professionals before making any major decisions to make sure they're appropriate for your situation. All right. So um, just something that I want to throw out there as a general PSA for everybody. But having said that, I hope everybody's ready for a kick-ass 2023. We're really excited for some of the changes that we have coming out in that insiders group. So do stay tuned and we'll catch you on the next episode of Tax Smart REI. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients, and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.